now the podcast starts. Hello, dear listener. And as you may know, this is the podcast on which sometimes we talk about horror, sometimes we talk about other things, and sometimes we swear. This is a quick introduction. I just want you alone for a moment before we go on to the main section of the episode, and you may be able to hear an evil-sounding bird squawking outside my window. Quite appropriate for a horror podcast, I think. This episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking to Catherine Bray, the... British writer, critic and podcaster, not to mention old mate of Ian's, about her new podcast, uh, Not Another Fucking Elf, which, well, I said sometimes we swear, we particularly swear on this episode. Her podcast is about the Lord of the Rings, and we're going to be talking about uh, the phenomenon of the Lord of the Rings, which we decided was sufficiently horror-adjacent. It's got scary monsters in it. Uh, demonic forces and a couple of particularly frightening movies and the discussion will mainly focus on Peter Jackson's 2001 uh, The Fellowship of the Ring which of course features Christopher Lee, another horror icon Um, but also Ralph Bakshi's quite alarming uh, 1978 animated version of the same story before we get to that though I just wanted Um, to have a quick word with you about something that might be coming up very imminently depending on whether you uh, listen to this podcast when it drops. You might have noticed we're dropping the episode a bit early this week. Um, It's Friday and this episode should drop in the morning. So if you're listening to this on the morning of Friday the 27th of May then this evening at 8.40pm There will be in Manchester at home MCR Cinema a very rare cinema screening of one of our favourite films on this podcast. The Spanish-made, English-language, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee classic movie Horror Express, which Howard, myself and our special guest Tim Shaw spent nearly three hours enthusing about on our special episode of the podcast back in 2020. I'll put the link to that in the show notes. And if you've never seen the film and you can't make the screening, I believe it's also available at the moment on the BBC iPlayer. Link in the show notes to that as well. Um, If you want to get along to watch it, Um, Obviously, I urge you to do so. I've never seen the film on the big screen. I'd deeply love to have the chance. Ironically, I won't be able to go myself because I will be actually in Spain uh, this weekend visiting my brother-in-law, Rick. Um, But uh, I urge you to take the opportunity to go and see it while it's being screened uh, if you're nearby. And there will be links in the show notes of this episode so you know where to go and can book tickets. Back to the content of this episode. So the main discussion is going to be uh, Catherine Bray joined by Ian, Stella and myself to talk particularly about the Lord of the Rings films but about everything to do with the Lord of the Rings phenomena. Um, And to be honest, you might get a a sense that I'm slightly quiet in the discussion. I did feel as the discussion went on that maybe I was a a little bit of a fraud because I discovered that I'm the only person in the group who'd not actually read the book The Lord of the Rings, although I have read The Hobbit. 
but the other three people in the discussion are much more knowledgeable about the subject matter than me, so I thought it's probably best to to let them take it away. Um, it was a lovely chat for us. Um, it's very kind of Catherine to, to give us a generous amount of her time, and it's a great podcast that she and Paul Ridd present. It's a character guide. The full um, title is Not Another Fucking Elf, a Lord of the Rings character guide, and every episode focuses on a different character from the Lord of the Rings mythos and how they are depicted in the original literature and the various adaptations. So far, when we recorded this chat a few weeks ago, only a couple of episodes had come out. Um, but now, as you listen to this, there will be more available. There are episodes about the characters of Gollum, Boromir, Bilbo Baggins, Legolas and Tom Bombadil, and I'll put links in the show notes so you can find those episodes to listen to. It's a really erudite, interesting and fun podcast. They've really gone to town on their research, and their enthusiasm for the subject matter is infectious. So having said all that, let's have a listen to the trailer of the 2001 Peter Jackson film, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, to get us into the mood, and then we'll go into the discussion with Ian, Stella, and, of course, Catherine. Legend tells of a ring created by an ancient evil that gave its wearer the power to enslave the world. Believed lost for centuries... It has now been found. Is it secret? Is it safe? This is the One Ring, forged by the Dark Lord Sauron. Sauron needs only this ring to cover all the lands of a second darkness. He's seeking it. Seeking it all. His thought is bent on it. No one knows it's here, do they? Do they, Gandalf? The weapon of the enemy is a gift. Let us use it against him. You cannot wield it. None of us can. The ring must be destroyed. It was made in the fires of Mount Doom. Only there can it be unmade. I know what I must do. But I'm afraid to do it. One does not simply walk into Mordor. There is no other way. There's something down there. Precious. Are you frightened? Yes. Not nearly frightened enough. Okay, everybody, we are now here joined uh, by the wonderful Catherine Bray, who is with myself and Ian and Stella to talk about The Lord of the Rings, both uh, the, the the 2001 Peter Jackson adaptation, but also the, the kind of phenomenon of The Lord of the Rings and, and in fact, her own podcast, which has a title which... Um, it's going to force us to live up to, uh, very early live up to the warning <laughs> that we tend to give at the start of this program that sometimes we swear. Uh, what? What? I, I, I'll I'll hand it over straight to you, Catherine. What's the name of your show? 
<laughs> so we're called Not Another Fucking Elf, which in retrospect is a terrible title for a podcast uh, because people listen to it and they think that that must mean that we hate elves in all forms. But it's actually a tribute to a friend of J.R.R. Tolkien who apparently said this when the professor was reading out some of his latest work. That was uh, Hugo Dyson just being a bit kind of sassy. So we thought we'd get a tip of the hat into him in our title. Right, and I'm really glad you, you did. And I think it is a good choice of the podcast because a good choice for a title of the podcast because it make, <laughs> it means you have to explain it every episode, which you probably find a, a massive pain. But on the other hand, means someone's going to learn something. I was one of the people who believed the myth that it was C.S. Lewis who said that. And I didn't know about yeah. Hugo Dyson. So That's apocryphal. Yep, I was educated within minutes of starting to listen to your podcast. So, oh, that's uh, heartwarming. Um, great, we're, we're winning hearts and minds. Love, love it. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic, and also it's very memorable. So, you know. Um, okay, so um, Catherine, um, I, you're steeped in the lore of of Tolkien and and the Lord of the Rings, and I'd like to um, indulge you in, to talk about your 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 knowledge and your starting point we always talk about what how we all got into the um the the love of whatever movie we're talking about or whatever thing it is um but i i think just before uh we, we come to you um if i ask uh ian and stella to also just give their um uh, their histories with with the with the Lord of the Rings, uh, and then we'll all be on a, a, a sure footing with each other. So, um, should we start with you, Ian? Uh, what's your uh, history with the Lord of the Rings as a saga? Well, I uh, I fucking love it. Um, since uh, I, it was probably after Jaws, it was the probably the second novel I read. So I read Lord of the Rings cover to cover. I think I read it before The Hobbit. I just, my mum had a copy from the 60s of an amazing, weirdly weird cover. And I just loved it. And I probably pretended to read it. And while I was pretending to read it, read it. And I don't know how many times I've read it, but not as many as, as Catherine, I would imagine, judging by how the fact that you seem to know so much about it. Um, and, oh, sorry, your co-host. Your co-host name I had in my head. What's your co-host name, Gavin? The lovely Paul Ridd. Yes, Paul Ridd. Not, Paul to be, Ridd. not to be confused with Paul Rudd, but just as lovely. He gets a bit of that on Twitter, you know, at Paul Ridd, I love you, I think you're amazing. It's like, probably <laughs> don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, yeah, so so, well, before we get on to that, but yeah, yeah, so but yeah, but just it just made me, as I said to you, as I said to you in an email, Catherine, it made me realise I am but an amateur when it comes to, even though it's been like forty, maybe forty years since I first read Lord of the Rings. Wow, and I've reread it a lot, and I've loved the books, and I've loved the films. I and I've read lots of stuff about it. Your, like Dan, your podcast still told me lots of stuff I didn't know. <laughs> So, uh, so I'm but an amateur, but um, but I absolutely loved the books, and then I guess that got me inevitably into playing Dungeons and Dragons and all that sort of stuff, and liking just about anything that was a Tolkien ripoff as a kid. 
Um, and so I just love that sort of stuff. And then when the movies got announced, I was so excited because I loved Peter Jackson's bad taste. So I already kind of knew who Peter Jackson was. Um, and I was just going, oh my God, this crazy horror, right, horror director doing Lord of the Rings. And then it was when it was when I was a I was full time, full on, you know, ten ten movies a week film critic back then. And so Lord of the Rings popping in in two thousand and one was like was like fucking hell, this is our generation Star Wars and it really was. We kind of felt it was gonna be and then it really didn't disappoint. Like the day of the junket in and you know, watching it all in Leicester Square and all that sort of stuff. It was uh, 20, God, 20 years ago. It was uh, pretty damn amazing. Um, yeah, and the, uh, so being there, I mean, I think they just finished, they just, they said to us they just finished editing the print when we watched it at 9.30 in the morning. Um, and then we had the junket, and so it was literally like hot off the press <laughs> as a print. Mm -hmm. And, and as a, as a massive fan, I just remember going up to Peter Jackson after the junket, like you're not supposed to do, and just shaking his hands Bang. and going, I love bad yeah. taste. And he, <laughs> and he was so tired and so grumpy. And I'd like to meet him again when he wasn't retired and grumpy. But, um, but yeah, but that's that briefly is my, uh, is, is why I've always, I just love, I just love these films. Warts and all, because they've got some big flaws in them. But this, this first one, not so much. I think the major flaws come later, as we'll probably discuss. Anyway, so, Stella. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's let's listen to Stella. Although I appreciate the fact that Stella got a clang in there, um, Catherine. We always um, like to give Ian the chance to to drop names in the podcast, but we always <laughs> remind him by by uh, <laughs> accompanying them with a with a clang. Um, I understand that yeah, you, you just make sure when Catherine does it much more impressively that you clang her as well. Oh, <laughs> well, no, no, it's just, well, just for you, Ian. <laughs> won't be as impressive as going to the you know first press screening and uh, yeah. seeing Peter Jackson. Can't really. So jealous. Well, yeah, just the first press well, screening by Catherine because. I was going to say, just that being at the first press greeting is impressive enough, but then to say you actually spoke to Peter Jackson. Um, he was grumpy as fuck, though, but I'll get on <laughs> to all that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sure he was just just tired. <laughs> um, he was just tired, and I, I started gabbering at him about bad taste and Derek's don't run and and all sorts of stuff to do with bad taste, and I think he was like, kind of want to pretend I haven't done that film. <laughs> wow! The one he should pretend he didn't do was the was the lovely bones, which I had the misfortune of attending, and then I ended up coincidentally in the same elevator as him at the hotel, and it was like, do I say that <laughs> the Lord of the Rings changed my life? I love it. Some of the films that mean more to me than anything in the world, or do I not? Because then we, he might ask me what I thought of the lovely bones, and I'd have to be honest and say it's shit. So oh I no! Say a word. <laughs> Did not say a word. I've never seen now. the lovely bones actually. But, yeah. Just changed the subject really quickly. <laughs> not a good film. It was wow. a bit of for me. It was. I mean, I, we're probably we're probably getting Stella hasn't said her bit yet, but mm. it was it was a little bit. Oh, I've really liked your stuff, and I'm delighted. And I'm sometimes complimenting directors. I don't know if you found this. Sometimes if you're just a bit too fanboyish, 
when you're supposed to be a journalist, you step over a line. That's a bit like when they go, security, it's about to ask for <laughs> Are you asking for a selfie? Because that's the word. Or I, do, I remember seeing someone asking Andy Serkis to record their voicemail in the Gollum voice for them so that when everyone oh, was no. that it would be, you know, hello. And he obliged. He was very, you know, gay. Oh. Uh, hell. He would have been well within his rights to throw the phone at the wall, I think. Wow. Yeah. Well, in 2001, I don't think selfie had been coined as mm. a <laughs> as a thing. But, it, but it's, very, it's very much, as a journalist, you're not really supposed to ask. It's supposed to be a safe space for them, isn't it? A but it did become a flurry of everyone asking for everyone's autographs. So, like, the PR's lost control of the journalists, of the press pack, <laughs> and everyone was asking for autographs, and, and it was chaos. But, you know, fun chaos, but Peter Jackson looked tired. Like he just literally finished doing a film, and now he's watch. He's talking to a lot of wankers from the press. <laughs> but anyway, Stella, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, I read it at school. It was on. We had to read it. It was part of you know in English lit, and you read. A, you went from one book to the next. Well, we did Lord of the Rings, so I did read it in high school, and uh, it took us ages. Ages and ages and ages, but that's when I read it, and then it was kind of under the situation of being at school, so we're trying to, you know, learn <laughs> from it as well. So I don't really think I absorbed it that much, um, and then I kind of I forgot about it for years and years, forgot about all of it, and then when I went to uni in Sheffield, I was living with a guy who was obsessed with Lord of the Rings and anything with a dragon in it, you know, all of that fantasy type stuff. So when it was announced that Jackson was doing the films my friend Greg was super excited so I was kind of just got caught up in his excitement and I went to see it because because we were all going to go and see it with Greg so I don't I, I probably would have gone and seen it anyway but I, it was it was somebody else's excitement that I was kind of you know that I, I was there for and um I can recommend that because it's 20 years isn't it this year 21 which is, years yeah 21 years Ah, which is terrifying but um we all went to watch what saw all three films um after taking magic mushrooms and it definitely helps wow. <laughs> it's just like ah. it was really really intense but interestingly i saw bad taste after lord of the rings yeah. a couple of years later so i saw it the other way around and i remember watching bad taste and being like that's a double bill <laughs> i remember watching bad taste and being like the Lord of the Rings fella did this, and then he did Lord of the Rings. Like, how? It's mad, isn't how it? is this? It's such. I mean, there are flashes of of that in Lord of the Rings. I think I'm sure we'll talk about it. But I couldn't. I just couldn't marry the two, particularly seeing Bad Taste after Lord of the Rings, and it's also beautiful and so emotional and all all the stuff that it is. And then yeah, I saw Bad Taste and I was fully shocked. That was Jackson. Imagine if you'd seen, have you seen Meet the Feebles? No. That's like his Muppet horror porn. <laughs> which is, that was one of the, that was one of the mad things when Lord of the Rings was at, coming out. I remember <laughs> the TV schedules. I think I'll give it a minute. It's like someone had just gone, oh, we'll show a load of Peter Jackson films. And it's like, well, he's done Heavenly Creatures. Oh my God, he hasn't oh, done yeah. anything else that we could show. So they kind of showed Meet <laughs> no, the Feebles. And sort of late night on BBC Two. But, but, you know, Heavenly uh, Creatures is amazing. It is. And I'd also yeah. like to shout out I'd also like to shout out for the Frighteners, which I think I had seen before The Lord of the Rings and I think yeah, is a yeah. 
kind of unjustly forgotten great movie. What's the other early one? Brain Dead. Brain Dead is fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. Brain Dead, yeah, yeah. And again, I saw. I think I saw Bad Taste, and then look, finally looked up. So okay, so what films has this guy done? I don't really pay attention. Yeah. And then watched Brain Dead, and was like, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't put these two yeah. two things together. I kick ass for the Lord. Nuts. <laughs> but uh, it's it's just yeah. So he'd done all these weird. He was basically Sam Raimi, wasn't he? He was like a Kiwi Sam Raimi. Mm. And then a bit like Sam Raimi, then huge Hollywood movies. Um, after doing, after cutting, being a doing very decent sort of horror movies. But I saw Bad Taste, aged eighteen, with all my sixth form buddies. In a double bill with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I hadn't seen before, and that that I think that probably changed, changed my life. That's quite. So I watched Bad Taste and was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" And then I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I've never seen it since. Very different kinds of horror movie. Yeah, I, I, I was like, I like that film. It was all right, and I I never want to watch it again. Is how I felt about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. But anyway, um. So I guess Catherine, onto uh, onto you, and uh, on your love of Tolkien. My origin story. Uh, my family was always really mm. big on the books. I think my dad read me The Hobbit when I was about four, and then I read it for myself when I was five or six, and then moved on to The Lord of the Rings. It's like The Hobbit's the sort of gateway drug, the thin end of the wedge, and then you progress to the hard yeah. stuff, The <laughs> Lord of the Rings, and later The Silmarillion. But I was captivated by The Lord of the Rings. I read it very, very slowly at that age, just a little bit at a time. And then when I got to the bit where you think does we do spoilers in in this section for the north i mean a book that's been out since the 1950s yeah yeah it's yeah. fine <laughs> i think we're all right yeah <laughs> yeah i know your podcast is fully spoilery isn't it fully spoilery yeah um so if you've not read the lord of the rings frodo goes up against this big old spider um and it's really it's presented as a full-on fake out frodo is dead moment and at the age of eight I, I hadn't encountered any fiction that like would do that to you I don't think at that point I mean maybe some Disney Bambi's mm. mum that kind of thing but not the hero like the guy that you're rooting for the main one I didn't know the main one could be killed off and I stopped reading for about two weeks because mm. I was so shocked and sad and um, I remember oh. <laughs> saying to my dad like you know with killed Frodo like what's going on and he said well maybe you should read the rest of it and I did and then realized it was all a big swizzle but I was so <laughs> impressed by the way that he could pull the rug out from <laughs> under you like that um later on obviously the films come yeah. along I was the perfect age for that I was seeing a new Lord of the Rings film after the autumn term of university for my three years of university which is just perfect for uh, someone who was tracking the production of the films on the one ring.net. I was big into writing talking fan fiction at that time, the kind of mm. the collaborative, multi stranded sort of message board stuff where you write your bit and then someone writes their bit and all of your characters are kind of working together. I'm still friends with a guy called Snow Dog who's I think maybe in his 60s or 70s and lives in Australia, like one of those internet friendships we've never met, but like we're still mm -hmm. in touch 20 years later. And so that was already like wonderful and very personal. I never thought it would be anything to do with my career. And then when I got a gig as a staff writer on Hot Dog magazine, 
um, little cult magazine that didn't last for that long, but just long enough to give me a job. I think it went out of business, owing a lot of people a lot of money. Um, bit of a shame, but yeah, hot in. Top, <laughs> in, yep. <laughs> uh, left me out of a job as well at the age of twenty-two or something. Um, but anyway, while it lasted, it was great. And one of my first assignments was to cover the Lord of the Rings all-nighter at the IMAX Waterloo. So I piled in there and wrote a kind of minute-by-minute -minute diary of the experience of watching, I think it was the extended. So, you know, that, that full cycle of uh, you, you come out at about 7 a.m., I think, yeah. and wrote it all up for the magazine. And I've made a joke about a guy who sat next to me and who had become increasingly ripe over the 12 hours and I made some joke about him smelling like Jim Lee's jockstrap <laughs> which was very very rude of me and I wish I could take it back but he wrote into the magazine to complain and identify <laughs> himself as the man with the B.O. and so we had to write him this big long-winded apology and send him loads of Lord of the Rings goodies so that was my introduction to getting cancelled in a pre pre-internet pre-twitter era. And I watch, I watch the films every year now. Uh, that's our New Year's tradition with my friend Paul Reed, who I have this podcast with. Yeah, oh, I must have read the book. I mean, one. I've read the book every year since then, yeah. and some years twice, so I hate to think how many times I've read the book. But that is a bit of a poison chalice, because it kind of feels like if there's something I can't remember, then, boy, this woman must be really thick. How can you read a book that many times and still make any kind of <laughs> error, you know? <laughs> It's all right. This is it's, this is not a test. <laughs> okay, good. I'm, okay. I'm glad it's not going to turn sort of mastermind. The <laughs> yeah. spotlight will come down. Ian will be like, Catherine, here's your start to turn. That's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it! We didn't we didn't think of that. Well, I know plenty of uh, religious people that don't know their book. Going <laughs> to read it every day. <laughs> well, but, um, so Catherine. Um, it's not just the the books and the film though is it because what i really enjoy about your podcast is you seem to know in depth every version of the lord of the rings that there's ever been and um <laughs> you, the format of your podcast is that each episode is a guide to a particular character um so so far you've done an episode about Gollum and then an episode about boromir and y you are taking every, everything that the book gives us about the character and then comparing the various portrayals in different media over the years which is fascinating because um, uh, I I haven't heard it or well I haven't heard or seen any other version apart from the Peter Jackson films I've been meaning to get round to listening to the the BBC one ever since it was repeated in 2001 um, <laughs> But I, I, I couldn't. I think I missed the first episode, and it was in the time when you know if you've missed it, you, you've missed it. So I didn't listen to it, and I mm. never got around to buying the CDs. Oh, it's superb! It's amazing. Yeah, I think one of the things we felt was that like we love the Jackson films, but they do get quite a lot of their time. If you look up Lord of the Rings podcasts, a lot of them, you know, they're either about the book or they're about the Jackson films, and there's just such a lot of other stuff out there that we felt would be interesting to kind of compare and contrast. Um, we don't even do all of it. We kind of 
we felt like you have to draw the line somewhere. So we generally cover, we generally do a shout out to the 1955 BBC radio adaptation, which is completely lost. You can't hear it anywhere. They didn't preserve the tapes, but it feels fun to do a sort of 21 gun salute and moment of silence for that version that we can't hear. <laughs> then we usually look at the 1979 Mind's Eye adaptation, which was a bunch of basically hippies in America. Uh, lots of American accents in that one, which is really funny, I think, because we're just not used to hearing uh, American hobbits and American wizards in a Tolkien context, anyway. <laughs> um, and then we oh. look at the 1978 Ralph Bakshi animation, which is probably, I would say, the best-known Tolkien adaptation of Lord of the Rings outside of the Peter Jackson films, when people talk about the animation. I saw that at the cinema. Oh, wow. At the cinema. That's a as a as a tiny child, but I was, my 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 auntie and even more than my mum loved Tolkien, so I just my main memory of it is loving it and being scared of it, and then it's all coming out doing Smeagol impressions. Mm -hmm. I was going to say it's quite it's quite scary for <laughs> small kids that one with the sort of the ring race. They're really it. Yeah, it was the seventies. We were it was yeah it was it was scary, but it was also a cartoon, but <laughs> but it was. Um, but also quite not hippie parents at all because but but also it's the 70s so there was a bit of a oh mustn't grumble derbyshire don't worry about it so you know <laughs> we saw terrible things in the war and we turned out all right <laughs> yeah yeah well, have... um, they were all war babies <laughs> they were war babies yeah, right. i was brought by war babies and so the idea of people being bothered about what kind of film you watched <laughs> was very much I was allowed to watch anything yeah. you know bedtimes didn't exist but did they you did, see but the 1980 anyway. Rankin Bass one because that's the one that uh, no I've never seen that that's, that's, I kind of was until your podcast I was aware of it vaguely but I didn't really know what any of it was called no that's it kind sounds, of the one that people sort of haven't great. seen, I think, for whatever reason. It's, um, it shares a lot of animators with people who would later go on to work at places like Studio Ghibli. So there's actually a bit of animation pedigree in there. And mm. when you look at it and oh, know wow. that some of the people from Topcraft mm. ha had that lineage, you go, oh, yeah, okay, there is sort of like an anime thing going on here with characters like Eowyn. It, you can sort of see that crossover. But yeah, for whatever reason, that one is doesn't seem to be yeah. generally as well known. Um, certainly not as well known as something like the 1981 BBC Radio 4 version, which people love and has that lovely continuity with the Jackson version in that Frodo is played by Ian Holm, who goes on to play Bilbo, which is a lovely bit of casting. Well, did, did you know, I, at the nice. junket I mentioned before, because <laughs> Ian Holm was there, we had Peter Jackson, Sean Bean and Ian Holm, and Ian Holm, somebody <laughs> asked Ian Holm a question about, somebody asked Ian Holm a question about, about the radio version, and Peter Jackson was went, I didn't know that, so he didn't know. No, was he not being so ironic? Press conference, oh. Peter Jackson found out he'd hired a Bilbo, Surely. he'd hired a Frodo as his Bilbo. Surely they were messing. I can't believe that wouldn't have come up during production. Well, that's they were very good actors if they were messing. He was uh it was uh, it was very much uh I didn't know that. Well Ian Holm is the coolest motherfucker for keeping that quiet for like twelve months in New Zealand. Well, can you imagine <laughs> yeah. with his career he was probably going, Oh yeah, I did do that, didn't I? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's nineteen eighty one. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> a, you probably can't really remember, job. can he? 
this may be my only opportunity to, to know something that maybe Catherine doesn't, but I thought that Brian Sibley, who wrote the BBC Radio series, did have some involvement in the film, like he wrote the making of book or something. So, Oh, that I, I, sounds plausible, but... Oh, hang on. I've got the making of book just there on the sofa. I'll go and get it. Excellent. A primary <laughs> source. Super. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> So it's like live research, live research. So if, if both he and, and Home so. were involved and yet Jackson didn't know, there they must go. have been playing it really cool. <laughs> uh, you've, you've, now, you've now made me doubt my own past. That's how long ago it was. I was using an audio tape to record it. Yeah, have you still got them? Oh no, no! I used I used a big chunky thing with a proper C ninety in it. Stupid! I used it. I used it way too late. Everyone else had digital things, and I was still tapes on the table, man. But um, yeah. So so the, the film the films were just absolutely amazing, really. And it's it's, it's really brought it home to me that you weren't actually professional yet. Then you were still a student. So it's because because obviously I know you from Hot Dog, uh, when I used to write for Hot Dog, and and you, yeah, it's weird to think that was actually much later. So when when Return of the King came out, were you a journalist then? No, so I graduated that year, but um, no, let, hang on, let me think. No, Return of the King would have been my mm -hmm. final year at university, and then I graduated that summer and came to work on Hot Dog. Oh, so, yeah. Wow. God. It really was. Um, it really was. A, I'm not just joking. It's not just because it was. It really was pretty amazing having the Harry Potters and and the Lord of the Rings, and all these regular junkets and all these. And I, basically, it became a joke. I've got my yearly Hobbit because every year I had a bunch of. You know, I managed to interview just every single person off Lord of the Rings. Um, over some of them over the phone. Some of them are junkets. Some of them are round tables and stuff, and it was, but it was really amazing, like to be to be a film critic full time when those films were coming out. And they really, I mean, they really have, they really like yeah. now twenty years distance, they 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 stand up so well, don't they? they and do you know uh, what happened? Um, just... Obviously, prior to my time, but do you know what happened to Hot Dog during that time? While while you were going to your junkets and interviewing all these people, they got. Well, I didn't do it for Hot Dog because they had. They, sorry? They got scammed. They got scammed by someone who said that they had been to an early screening of Two Towers, like before anyone else, and oh, the Hot no. Dog could have the scoop. So Hot Dog ran a very early, very excited review of oh, Two Towers. I remember that, yeah. That turned out to be utter <laughs> bullshit from some chancer who, I mean, you know, it's you've got uh. the books there, you can sort of fake a review that sounds like you've seen it, but it was it was complete yeah. bullshit and they they lost a lot of credibility at, oh. at, that, at that time I, that really wouldn't well. happen now it's too too easy to check out who's seen what when there's been screenings people are very connected but at the time yeah. that could happen yeah also you'd be scared of uh running a review that's from a screening that hasn't happened yet or well yeah i guess but it's um mm. yeah now i vaguely remember that happening um but yeah but all the big stuff I had to do for the regional stuff. I, I was I was 
editing a listings magazine in Newcastle. So I spent half my life in London escaping Newcastle. And um, no offence to Newcastle. Um, but yeah, but obviously <laughs> Hot Dog Hot Dog only sent me in those sort of assignments sent me to do go and see the obscure stuff no one else wanted to watch. <laughs> that was the uh, they they weren't like gonna send a freelancer to watch Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that was it. That would have been a staff job. <laughs> but yeah, but 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 the Lord of the Rings films really I remember I was I've got a copy of Empire um I was just looking at the other day. Um from that time because I was looking at something I'd I had in there. And it was weird, it had like the first Empire review of Fellowship of the Ring, just as this happened, sort of serendipity. And it was just saying this is, you know, the this is this generation Star Wars. And I I think it really is, like just on a the special effects level and the impact level, like Peter Jackson's an absolute genius. Mm-hmm. Cinematic genius, he really is. And it, and, it, and it felt like that at the time. Better than Star Wars for me. Oh, it, is um, to- it pisses on Star Wars. Uh, to be honest, e- even some Star Wars <laughs> fans would agree with you. I remember um, a, a friend of mine, Steve, who Stella and I were at college with, who's a massive Star Wars fan. Somehow he saw Lord of the Rings before me and maybe before any of our friends, but I remember him coming back and just going, wow, wow. Um that was my my brother who's a huge uh, Lord of the Rings fan you know he's he's older than you Ian he's been um, re-reading Jesus. and I know how to imagine he's been reading and rereading that book for decades uh, and the film was just everything that he wanted he he was he could hardly speak it was great what a Christmas yeah uh, that's the reaction I had yeah well, my friend Greg, whose excitement I got caught up in to go and watch it, he was he was the same. When we came out of Fellowship of the Ring, he was... He, I, I, right. I reckon he was, might have cried at some point <laughs> during that film. <laughs> so it was just like, yeah, it was amazing. It's everything I wanted. Because he, he, was, he was shit scared. He was like, what, what if it's rubbish? What do we do if it's rubbish? But it was, he, was, he, was, he was thrilled with it. So. Well, I think maybe some of us in the geek sphere... Had been burned by Phantom Menace. Yeah, yeah. which was only what two years before. Less. So, so we knew not not everything that we thought was going to be good would be good. Imagine if it had been like The Hobbit, oh. which is a whole other conversation. Just, but um, uh, but it was just literally there was that ex- this yeah. expectation, and then met by expectation, and then surpassed. Is like that cinematic blockbuster, just heaven, isn't it? In that type of movie, just they're, they're just near perfect films. I've got to get back to editing our episode for the Not Another Fucking Elf, which we've done on Bilbo in a minute, and it's run massively over time. So I'm trying to hack it back to an hour uh, and keep it at an hour. And one of the things I think we'll have to go is us just ranting about how bad the Hobbit films are for about oh, five no. minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Get rid of I, that. I, I do fear. I do fear. <laughs> I do fear if I start going down. I've not seen. The Neither have I. So we can. We, bit like I we, haven't seen any of the sequels after I walked out of Matrix. After I walked out of the second one, I've not been. So back. we can't. We can't talk um, about it, Ian, because we're not qualified. We haven't even seen it. <laughs> no, no, no. And also, my excuse. it will just be as ranting. <laughs> I mean, it's hardly. I don't know. Um, anyway, yeah, we mustn't start talking about the Hobbit. We mustn't start talking about the Hobbit movies. I, I did that thing 
you know that Chris Hewitt famously gave five stars to Attack of the Clones for Empire oh, magazine, yes. and like has since said, yeah. you know, actually, Empire's famous five stars. Famous five star review. They did, they did that for Pearl Harbor as well. And I kind of not not quite to the same <laughs> yeah. extent, but I went on the BBC One film show uh, at the time with Claudia Winkleman and gave a positive review to the first Hobbit movie. And I think it was just that thing of like wanting it to be good. I and mean, it wasn't a five star mm -hmm. rave, but I was kind of yeah. trying to find the things I liked in it and trying to minimise the things I didn't like in it. And all the while, uh, you know, that that knot in the pit of your stomach. Was where you're you're trying to convince yourself more than anybody and then when the next film came around i was like oh it's, it's not very good are they yeah rushing like we wanted the experience again didn't we of being in the cinema yeah. watching you know tolkien's world and going ah and when it wasn't we we're just like yeah that was great and part of it's worrying that you've grown up and that like maybe it's just not it's, it's you that's not enjoying this world mm -hmm. anymore and you've you've gone beyond it but then you just go off and watch lord of the rings it's like yeah. no actually it was your generation <laughs> star wars prequels moment is what it was yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was... we'd have to have one <laughs> I, I watched you know i watched star wars in the cinema as well the year before i watched the lord of the rings animated and it's to, to then flash forward and be an adult and get phantom fucking menace <laughs> all these years um, anyway we will get sidetracked we're here to talk about well, first ring <laughs> which is a shining moment of glory in cinema history well just because i know that we've got limited time I, I i want to just bring a bit of focus to the discussion because obviously we are a horror podcast and, and our, our listeners expect <laughs> horror content so i just want to talk about um how yeah how frightening the film is really um and as specifically the first film in the trilogy when i saw it i haven't seen the bakshi film but i had seen the first 10 minutes of of that movie uh, through my brother the lord of the rings expert uh, and his vast collection and i just wanted to have a look at it because i was uh, i was i was in the hype for the upcoming release of the peter jackson film and the, the start of the Bakshi film is, is is the flashback to the creation of Gollum, isn't it? And I just thought, that's absolutely mm. terrifying. Uh, using, uh, you know, those glowering red skies and use of silhouettes and things. I, I, I thought it was incredible. And I kind of took that into the viewing of the first film with me, which worked because you, you hardly see Gollum in the first movie um it has a it had a bad knock-on effect in, in that when we eventually did see the flashback to smeagol uh in the third film i found it relatively disappointing it's not it's you know it's it's relatively prosaic um <laughs> but um the first film is still my favorite of the movies because i think there is such a sense of doom in it that the the Black Riders are so frightening. Um, the, the other movies are, are, are great as <laughs> yeah. well, but um, the fact is that good is starting to win from kind of early in the the two towers. I think you know there's uh, and it's it's all kind of battles from there. But the real sense of overwhelming evil, I think, is in the first film when it's this small band of hobbits who don't seem to really have a chance in hell against this this uh ancient force and then and it leads the film of course ends with the dissolution of the group so it's just kind of steeped in danger really 
Yeah, well, would, would you agree, Catherine? Because I remember mm. as a kid reading Lord of the Rings over and over again, but Fellowship of the Ring, it, enjoying it much more as a book. It's people on a quest. It's and it and it has a really good ending, even though it's weird. It was it was only when I watched the film and realised, oh no, that's from the beginning of the second book. The whole Boromir, Boromir's death and the, but it. But when you read, I don't know if anybody, I don't know if anybody ever read Lord of the Rings as one book. I've only ever seen it as a big chunky tome. Anyway, I was just going to say I didn't think of them as like mm. sort of separate books when I was reading it as a kid because it was just this enormous book that I could barely carry. <laughs> no, I never did. Um, but I think the first mm. book is more of a horror book. The only chapters that are actually that I used to have to have the light on, like the, the big main light instead of the little night light on to get through was the, A Knife in the Dark and also the Barrowite sequence, which isn't in Jackson's film. And I know it must have been something that was a wrench for him to cut because it's basically a mm. big, spooky, horrible, undead thing that nearly kills all of the hobbits in a like, terrifying sequence. Mm -hmm. uh, I know for a guy like Peter Jackson, it must have been a real, really difficult to lose that. It has to go because it is a bit of a sort of side diversion, but it's one of the most pure horror sequences, I think, in that first book. Mm. And I think the first book is more of a pure horror novel than, than any of the later ones, which move into that more sort of high romantic, terrorism kind of mode for a lot of it like there's nothing mm. scary about Aragorn going up against all of those orcs because it's more like a military campaign I think mm. yeah yeah yeah. I yeah. think there's just something more pure about the storytelling in as he's as Tolkien setting off on his quest maybe it's just that season one is always so often the best season of anything yeah well I mean I love all of the later stuff but it's not <laughs> it's not delivering horror so much it's delivering different stuff um, yeah, yeah. As you say, the vulnerability mm. of the hobbits when they're on their own, they don't have Gandalf, and they've got, I guess, they've got Strider for the Ring Raid stuff, but they haven't got Strider at all early on when they first just see a Black Rider, like, and they're still in the Shire. That bit shits me up mm. as much as anything else, right. really, because it's so out of context. We've yeah. just come out of, like, yeah. the Grubs, Chubs, Boffins, Bulgers, Hornblowers, Chubs, all of those crazy hobbits at Bilbo's 111th birthday and then suddenly there's this guy in a cloak asking for baggins it's a real context shift and I think that's one of the creepiest things about it yeah I think when so my my daughter's 13 now and I showed her Lord of the Rings I don't know maybe she's like six seven I don't know whatever so at some point when she was a bit smaller and it was only with the ring wraiths that I remember sort of sitting and looking at her on the mm. sofa and making sure like she all right with this bit the rest of it was like yeah fighting and this and that's the other and oh and, you know the lovely elves and all the other stuff was going on but it was it was with the wraiths that I had to be going is this a bit strong or is she all right but no she turned she was just like <laughs> she's like this is brilliant and she she loved it straight away and we rewatched it actually yeah. on Sunday for this and I and she said can we start the second film I was like well no so I'm going to talk about the first film on Thursday and I'll, and I'll get confused <laughs> so she's itching for us to shut up so that we can put the second film on oh wow that's brilliant <laughs> but yeah it was the race that I had to make sure it wasn't too much yeah no, I, I, watch, I, I started watching it a few weeks ago with my youngest who's six and the ring race was the bit where I had to turn it off so 
it, he was all right. And then right. when they get to the bit yeah. where they're like stabbing in the bed and and even though they're stabbing pillows, he just couldn't make yeah. it through to find out everyone was all right. He was like, ah, no, <laughs> it's Aww. too much. So I put him <laughs> off Lord of the Rings. I mean, I, I was like, like I watched, I watched Bakshir, but I was six. <laughs> I imagine for children that pra- I, I mean, I don't have kids, but like the practical effects, I would imagine are scarier than digital effects because they just look like something is actually there and happening, and you've got all of those Jackson touches, like the ring rates feet and hands making the earth boil with insects and like some of those insects are yeah. real and it all, they look real and I think it's something like 300 and something VFX in Fellowship, there's over a thousand VFX in Return of the King and somewhere in the middle in Two Towers like 600 and something so the number of digital effects is just ramping up across the trilogy and I think that does sort of have a knock-on effect of, of fellowship being kind of one of the scarier ones because just everything feels more tangible and like it's really happening. I, I think, yeah, I, I, mm. we're not, we mustn't talk about The Hobbit, but I think maybe you can see the seeds of why The Hobbit's trilogy didn't work because the first film yeah. works just on so many levels. Like the final battle is, you know, it's a crane shot and it's people with latex masks on and big swords. And stunning, people getting it? hit with, you know, Boromir getting filled with arrows. There's, you don't feel the video. You don't feel the, you don't feel the CGI <laughs> in a bad way. And if you do, that's amazing CGI because you don't notice it. And the, the computer programs that make battles <laughs> that became what people talked about in the later films. And then the CGI that doesn't look real at all. That is the curse of the Hobbit films. So maybe, I mean, the, the, so I remember even before I'd seen the film, I interviewed, I, as I was in Newcastle, Billy Boyd was in a hotel room. So we, I interviewed Billy Boyd. That was my first. Clang. Yeah. That was my, uh, that was my first, that was my first sort of interaction <laughs> with the film. So I was excited, but talking to Billy Boyd, who just, you know, he was reminiscing about, he just made three films. He didn't know if they, how they were going to go down. Um, but you know, I've got a tattoo, and uh, and I had an amazing few years in New Zealand. But you know, this this actor who uh, who yeah. maybe was about to have his life changed, maybe not. Um, and he was, and we were just talking, and he, he he, I was talking about bad taste to him as well. So he was like, "Oh, I love bad taste." But um, but he was just reminding me that all the different, all you know, what a genius Jackson is. That some of it. Because obviously he, you know, he was talking about the tree beard stuff that was in the later films and how that was done like 1930s King Kong and CGI. So, and it, so, mm-hmm. so Jackson's genius was to know which which tool to use from the movie making box while inventing new tools himself um, it, with the computers and everything. So it was guys in latex masks with steel swords that makes it so real. It was you know, old-fashioned special effects and splatter gore and stuff he'd learned from, you know, a beheading. This is how you do a beheading. This is how you make blood spurt. Here's, here's a massive hand. And then yeah. all the CGI on top of all that. Um, that's what makes the films just, you know, just on, a practice, just on an effects level. And great casting too, great horror casting. People like Christopher Lee and Brad Darif got that, you know, that real heritage yeah 
Yeah, only really, only really twigged with me when we did the Exorcist Three um, pod that um, that Brad Dourif, like where I'd seen him before, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. that's why he's doing his he's doing his <laughs> Zodiac Killer. <laughs> Not Zodiac Killer. Um, what's it called? The Killer. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, Peter Jackson was asked a lot about, and he didn't like talking about it. Was um, uh, was Stuart Townsend? Oh, was Aragorn having cast as having been cast as Aragorn, and then the whole he was just miscast. It wasn't his fault, and we'll probably never know exactly. I don't think it would. It's not his fault that he's like twenty years too young for the role. So I really, yeah. I do think someone fucked up on production side because. Yeah. You yeah. just, it's just you're not going to have that gravitas <laughs> at, at that age it does need to be somebody older thank mm-hmm. Christ they sort of had the cojones to realise and recast as gutting as it must be for that actor I think it would have really yeah. sunk huge chunks of the film if you had a 20 year old kid in, in the role of Aragorn it's just wrong yeah, just every review would be it's alright but why, yeah. is, why is Aragorn so young um <laughs> I mean, and Viggo Mortensen is just something else. He's just like, I mean, yeah, he's perfect. He's very pretty, isn't he? <laughs> well, I wasn't saying he's that, right. but you know, so I, so I understand. <laughs> Fair enough. His hair gets worse though across the trilogy. Those wigs they've got him in by the end of the turn. <laughs> it's not a good wig at the end, is it? It's, it doesn't look right when it because at the end that sequence when he's crowned king and his hair's all clean. It's like he's had a shower and it's like. It's not as good. <laughs> no. You like your Vigo dirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never noticed the wigs, I must say. I, I think I've just always swept up and I'm never like I've never really noticed these bad wigs. <laughs> that's that's that was um one of the things to talk about as well was was Lord of the Rings is very, very much a male story. As in I don't are there any female characters in it apart from Galadriel? Arwen. Shelob is a female character. <laughs> yeah, the spider. So a spider and an elf queen in the actual novels that aren't yeah. in the appendixes. And uh, Goldberry. Oh, Goldberry. Goldberry is Bombadil's wife. She doesn't get a look oh, right. in the Peter Jackson version either. No. Um, but no, I think, I don't know. I mean, as a kid, I was identified with Frodo, I think. It's yeah. just one of those yeah. those films where you're identifying along other lines than than gender because the whole thing is so far removed from I yeah, presume yeah. our actual experience. Unless any of you have ever had to lob a piece of jewelry into a volcano, not that I, I can know. remember. So yeah, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting with with talking and representation. I think because like the guy was born in the 1800s, mm-hmm. so is he going to write something that by uh, 2022 standards looks perfect through any of those kinds of lenses? Mm-hmm. No, he's absolutely not. Um, but I don't think that that means that there's not tons of value in... Oh, no, totally. Yeah. But also, I mean, he's, he, was, he, was, he was also writing from the point of view of someone from the, you know, from, I guess, 
well, at least pre 1066. He never got over 1066, did he? <laughs> you know, that's when everything went downhill in this country. Well, he was, yeah, he was big rivals with uh, his his bit of the Oxford English um, kind of lobby, as it were. They they cut off around Chaucer, like for them, it's Chaucer and earlier in literature is the stuff that's worth studying. And they had that this kind of big, almost sharks versus the jet style rivalry with the people who were later than Chaucer, so Shakespeare onwards. Um, and initially, C.S. Lewis was was kind of from that lot, so they weren't pals to begin with. So I'm a bit suspicious of you, because you, you like Shakespeare and all that modern <laughs> lot. Wow. I've never heard anything so English in my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A beautiful, yeah. unlikely friendship across the divide. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. lovely. But that, was, but, that, but that was very much... Uh, one of his things for Lord of the Rings was for basically making making a sort of mythical past that had somehow been erased or had never existed or, you know, the Beowulf type type mm. era of of the oral tradition that hadn't survived. And in his mind the, the Silmarillion mythos was just as important as the Lord of the Rings. Obviously it was not yeah. as popular with readers and there's actually a lot of really interesting um, female stories in there so I feel like mm. he was probably kind of like but come on I've written just as many yeah. interesting female characters over here. It's like yeah but that is the bit that you've written like a chapter of the Bible so people aren't as interested in it because the textual style is really hard to get to grips with compared to the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. He shot himself in the foot a bit there. Yeah yeah. So but I think the introduction of Arwen as a character um, was is, is a is a stroke of genius from from uh, from the screenwriting team. Um, so, am I right? You're, you're you're the expert, Catherine. But am I right? That's from an appendix that's in Lord of the Rings, or is it? Or is it an appendix that's from the Silmarillion? So Arwen pops up. Um, well, basically, they take Glorfindel's adventure and they give that to Arwen. That's always been a pro mm. problem for the adaptations because in the book, they're making their way to Rivendell, Frodo's been wounded, Black Rider's on their trail, peril, 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 and then Aragorn's mate, Glorfindel, an elf prince, shows up on his horse to help out, and it's all very convenient, and <laughs> they all get to Rivendell. And then you, like, Glorfindel, I think he's at the Council of Elrond, but then you never hear much about him for the rest of the book, so it... <laughs> It, uh, particularly if you're adapting it for a movie it's like why are we going to have this guy show up for 10 minutes and then never be heard of again and so when they adapted it for the Bakshi version they have that role fulfilled by Legolas so it's actually Legolas who shows up and oh, um, they introduce right, him yeah. at that point who is voiced by Anthony Daniels um, oh, who wow. started wow. fans will obviously know and love as C-3PO so you have C-3PO show up <laughs> to the rescue to help them get uh, across the board and escape the Black Riders. Um, and Jackson, quite sensibly, instead he has Arwen in that mm. role, which is a really nice way of kind of introducing the romantic dynamic between her, her yeah. and Aragorn. A good way of getting her into the story and getting rid of this, from an adaptation point of view, sort of useless character who's not in there for long enough to be interesting. Mm. And she's a badass in that scene as well, isn't she? She is, and she's, it, she's great. It's incredibly tense. It's a great introduction. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. And yeah. It, just, it. it continues the the theme of just kind of vulnerable uh, 
people fighting evil you know this where she's on the on the horse alone being chased across the fields by hordes of of the ring wraiths um that's just an incredible edge of edge of seat sequence i think um it's another one of those sequences I really miss in modern blockbuster filmmaking is I think you just get far fewer sequences like that where you, like 10 horses, that is hard to film. And I feel like a lot of the blockbuster filmmakers now just would swerve that and they wouldn't have that in there. Um, it's complicated, it's expensive, it's difficult to shoot, but Jackson did shoot it. And it, it really on camera, it just shows how exciting it is. It's so exciting because you know we watched it again on Monday, and it, it was it was se- sequence like that, and you know the sequence of the fight in the in the woods at the end, and just when it's just so, you feel so in it that you're you're right next to them, you're right in the action. Is that beautiful shot when Arwen's riding away, and there's the nine horses behind her, and they're all fanned out behind her, and they're turning yeah. all these corners, mm. and I'm sat on the sofa just eating my uh, bank holiday. Monday pizza, having a lovely afternoon. I've realised that I was, you know, leaning forward with excitement and I've seen the film God knows how many times. I was, you know, watched it over and over again before I showed it to my kid and, you know, Ian, you'll know, when you show a kid a film and then they love it and you have to watch it 50 times in a row and every time they want to put a film on, it's that same film. <laughs> so, we, you know, we watched Lord of the Rings over and over and oh. over again and we didn't, I don't think we've watched it for about five years. So it was just, it was really lovely to put it back on and for it to oh, still just... be super excited and go, yeah, we're going yeah. to watch them all again. <laughs> we watch the Hobbit ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. But it's just so exciting. <laughs> you know, yeah. still. If you get hooked on the Hobbit, you'll have to watch that over and over again. That's the downside of that. Oh, well, she's 13 now, so she's too cool for that now. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I just think, the, just, just as a introduction of Arwen, it's one of those things that's so good that it's hard to imagine the story without it now. Like if it, when when I mean Amazon are doing doing Lord of the Rings, but not Lord of the Rings. They're doing Tolkien. It's a weird prequel or something, isn't it? I don't even know what it actually is. Well, isn't it based on the Silmarillion? The the Amazon. Uh, it's the second age, so it's not even they they haven't got access even to kind of everything that's covered. I don't think by the Silmarillion. Um, mm. It is legit talking. I don't know. I'm I'm just kind of keeping an open mind about all of that, and we'll see how it turns out. I just hope it's really good. Is it out? Has it been finished? No, it's not out. No. It's been it's been bubbling under for years. Right. It is now, isn't it? And then there's been COVID. Trailers have started to appear, haven't they? I've seen some. Right. Okay. Yeah. What I was just saying about Arwen is, um, if you know, if anyone if anyone comes to adapt Lord of the Rings again, it's hard to imagine Arwen. It's a bit like the balcony in Romeo and Juliet. It's a bit like it's it's an introduction that feels so perfect. And it's tricky. Uh, it's tricky with those characters that are really like ancient elves and and so on because this second age they've got uh, they've had to cast people playing roles that were previously played by. Kate Blanchett and Hugo Weaving and the guy in the Sauron outfit. Okay, we don't know who that is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they've had to find people who can embody that. And yeah, yeah. Be, I, I wouldn't want to have to try and kind of live up to what Kate Blanchett did as Galadriel. No, yeah. No. Oh, don't give her the ring, She's, for God's sake. Uh, 
yeah. that is my favourite scene in the film as well. So good. Oh my God, just when you start thinking how many amazing people are in mm. are in these films, you forget about Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett is amazing. There's just so many good people in these movies, and uh, that's another that's another reason they're uh, they're uh, twenty years on and they're still there's, there's barely a moment in that that looks dodgy that doesn't stand up I don't think on the stairs doesn't look good mm, in Moria yeah that bit bugs me I have to kind of that bit annoys me too I'm so glad you said yeah. that it's it just looks like something out of the wrong kind of film it's like Indi- Which bit, Indiana yeah. Jones shit in Moria where Aragorn's like lean, lean forward. forward and you're meant, meant to believe that the weight of a tiny hobbit is, yeah. is making the, the column of stone that's been there since you know the Balrog first crawled out of Morgoth's dungeon <laughs> fall oh, in the right direction yeah. it's like, it's just if you if you watch that sequence you can see the blue outline around the characters so they but they don't it's not been um, drafted uh, properly into the I background or the tech up. wouldn't allow them to do it and that's the only bit that makes me sort of go <laughs> but you know it doesn't look right and it's also just not a necessary narrative beat they're already mm-hmm. fleeing orcs and a Balrog and yeah, will they get out they're on the run fine got enough tension there's enough there's enough going on yeah, yeah the Balrog's coming the thing's falling apart there's arrows flying everywhere like yeah you're alright but it just the look of it just it makes me grind my teeth a little bit but it's alright because the Balrog's like there 30 seconds later and that's amazing so still looks incredible I mean that's just that that I mean again this is I remember watching the the press screening of it well not actually just the press screening I, I took my girlfriend to see another press screening at a more more godly hour and she didn't know what happens to Gandalf and so that was amazing like she literally she was so invested in it she went no <laughs> like full on full on and she was like is he dead I was like yeah he's dead and it was like you bastard it was literally gutted absolutely gutted that, that whole sequence I remember I remember since I I, me- I kind of weird I probably imagined it but I remember reading Fly You Fools in the book and just being absolutely gobsmacked that Gandalf was dead and a bit like your she love moment um, <laughs> but um, it just just absolute perfection for me I mean I guess I've never ever worried about the the stone thing, and the, but I guess it is a seed of we're going to have surfboarding Legolas coming up, and we're going <laughs> to have the Hobbit movies coming up. Stella, you, you you said you'd like to talk about the effects a bit more, so I thought maybe this was a good segue yeah. into that, because it sounds like you've just mentioned the only one you're not happy with, so maybe mm. you could talk about the others. <laughs> so yeah, so as I said, you can see the blue line around them, which is it's because everything else in the scene is orange or brown. That demarcation line to me is just like it's like it's just humming at me. But you know that's what the tech could allow at the time. So the reason I wanted to talk about the VFX is kind of kind of work based. So I teach a module that's essentially just landmarks in in VFX. So Lord of the Rings is obviously in there, various other bits of like 80s high concept cinema are in there, blah, blah, blah. But I have the Lord of the Rings in there because it's it's a really useful, while it did turn to more CGI over the course of the first three films and the following Hobbit films, it's like you said, the Fellowship has got the least um, CGI in it. 
each film developed its own method of technology so the program that they built for to, to make Gollum to do Gollum's eyes or the geometry inside his eyes um, they created the subsurface scatter light so the the animation of Gollum has a reflection of light on his skin and underneath his skin so that it looks so that it looks more real and nobody had done this before so every, every film when even though they're increasing the cgi perhaps a little bit too much at times they they're creating just a series of firsts every single time they're the first film to do this skin texture they're the first film to have a cgi character interact with real life the first film to do motion capture so all the way through the series it's just the first one of this the first one of that so for my students that do that do vfx and post production to watch the development of the skills in in the cgi in the post in the vfx across lord of the rings and across the hobbit is really useful for them to see it changing and changing within the universe to keep it still hopefully looking the same and there are changes there are things where you think ah i wish that hadn't been cgi but it is and it's just it's just incredibly useful to see this progression to watch the progression of weta workshop with their practical effects and then to watch the progression of weta digital and how much they learned how much they created and you see similar things with things like um was it gravity with sandra bullock they did the first um the the fully round video screen for her to be filmed inside so you know when films do these first it's always worth pointing to Mm. and with lord of the rings and again with with the hobbit even though we're not going to talk about the hobbit each film had its own we created this specially for this film and now everybody uses it and it's just you know it the the films are emotional they're amazing and they're exciting from that point of view you know from the production from the tech involved and from the skill and the learning that everybody went on it's amazing stuff I think I, I can't help but look at all those bits and go, oh, that's a nice bit of rendering on that one. <laughs> that, that one there looks really nice. <laughs> well, that's really well matched, isn't that? Look at that light scatter on there. It's lovely. And Owen's just like, oh, my God, watch the fucking film. <laughs> so, yeah. I love that. I love the idea of you're, you're there sort of watching um, uh, with all of this kind of technical expertise. I'm there crying my eyes out because they've gone into the West. And, <laughs> You're understanding it on a landmark tech level. <laughs> yeah. But it did yeah. It makes me uh, maybe not the best person to go to the cinema with. So I like to point that out. But, you know, in in my defence, um you, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about, but also I have to put up with my husband, he's a circus performer. So when we go and watch circus stuff, he'll sit there going I can do that. <laughs> so there is a bit of crossover. We can irritate each other in each other's respective um, fields. <laughs> so it we had a, a thing at university, like sort of, so in the middle of when the films were being released, where for drama club you could go and do a fight workshop, Ooh. and they got one of the guys who was one of the models for the Balrog, and all I wanted to do was just ask him questions about being the Balrog. Oh, that's cool. And, he had that same thing of like watching movies through the lens of his expertise, mm-hmm. which was fight performing. Yeah. Um, and I always remember, he said, you know, do you know what the best film of recent time, the best fight in a film of recent times is? And everybody had a thought and yeah. know, came up with various, uh, mostly quite kind of violent movies, action movies, yeah. all that sort of thing. And he said, for, for me, it's the scene in Bridget Jones' diary where Hugh Grant <laughs> and Colin Firth kind of go at it yeah. like proper yuppies in a fight, <laughs> like you know? Like, like they don't know how to fight, it's messy. 
they're scrambling around, they're mm-hmm. rolling in someone's birthday cake, uh, and then he was so cross because he said, and then they ruin it. They have them go through a plate glass yes. window. It's in the restaurant, isn't and it? Get, yeah. yeah, and then they get up and dust themselves off. And up until then, it's been a fight that's like completely in character yeah. for these two guys. But but they're, they're not action men. They're not going to go through a plate <laughs> glass window and then like pick themselves up again. They'd be rolling on the yeah, floor going, oh! <laughs> yes, it's really undignified, isn't it? It's just like a, a scuffle. It's not really a fight, is it? Because they can't, they can't fight. Because when when you were saying that, so like, oh, what's the best best fight? And my brain immediately went to like, oh, maybe like the Born Identity films, or those really fast paced <laughs> fighting, or maybe I don't know, Old Boy. That's got some great fights in it. But it was um, a man with a magazine. But yeah, Anna Byron. <laughs> um, but yeah. But now, he, he loved that one because he said it's just that it's, that's how men like that middle class men who don't fight often will do it. Fight interesting right i'm gonna write that down that's going in a lecture i'm having that <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and, and yeah, so the balrog supposedly i don't know whether they had like multiple balrogs and he was uh you know the main one or a side balrog or what don't know. Something should i consult the book hang on oh, yeah great <laughs> just say something actually it won't help because i can't remember his name but um... there was um there was there was one thing um about the about the sort of some of the choices they made. I mean, they, they did they did so many things right. There was it's weird. There was an article I remember I remember reading in the Guardian um, because of the magic of the internet. It was really easy to find it again. So it was an article from two thousand and one by John Ezard, who I then discovered is sadly no longer with us. Um, but um, but he he knew Tolkien, and it's an article. We'll have to put a link to it on the uh, on the podcast notes. Um, and he just wrote, would Tolkien like Fellowship of the Ring? Mm. None of the other films had come out. The Hobbit was a bit of gleam in Jackson's and, uh, and Guillermo del Toro's eye. Um, and and he, he sort of said, basically, Tolkien, grumpy as he was, would maybe just about like the movies. <laughs> but the one thing he wouldn't like was the fact that they seemed to have, instead of being English, they seemed to be Irish. Like... Like, and he's got this brilliant quote from grumpy old Tolkien saying, I do know Celtic things, and I feel for them a certain distaste. They are, in fact, mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said in 1937. So that was this, that was, uh, this guy's main thing, was the Irish... Uh, the soundtrack's very Irish, mm. which he puts down to Titanic being successful. Mm. And mm. the Hobbits are Irish people doing jigs and things, which, which uh, rather than English people... That's the whole thing about Tolkien. He's very English, mm. not British English. And um, uh, but yeah, but 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 it was it's a really nice article. Just sort of he, you know, he'd been to see the premiere, and he basically just said, through trying to watch this through the eyes of the professor I knew, um, who he knew he knew a few times, um, and he said mostly he'd probably approve, which is a nice thing to feel. It is. Um, although he'd, he'd probably complain about the, you know, like you say in your podcast, Catherine, he's, he's not happy if you change a bloody comma, really. <laughs> um. Well, the <laughs> level of detail that the man put into working out. So here's a, here's an example of something that Tolkien actually went away and worked out. And this is, I don't think I know of any other fantasy author who is this fully realised from their creation of their fantasy world. So he maps out all of the events of Lord of the Rings against the calendars that he's come up with. He maps them out against the phases of the moon as they would be playing out within that time scale. So if a character 
in the Lord of the Rings is looking at the moon and they see a full moon or a half moon. That is the moon that there would have been wow. within that time scale. So when he, what a nerd. <laughs> when he would, I mean, he looked at things like uh, treatments for proposed film versions that kind of never um, came to fruition. And he would, I don't know, he would pop off about all sorts of details. It was sort of things like, I've actually got one on the computer here where he says, I am sorry, but I think the manner of the introduction of Goldberry is silly and on a par with Bombadil as an old scamp. It also has no warrant in my tale. We are not in fairyland, but in real riverlands in autumn. Goldberry represents the actual seasonal changes in such lands. Personally, I think she had far better disappear than make a meaningless appearance. And he writes a whole letter with those that level Wowzers. of notes all the way through. He would have found shit tons of stuff that would have bothered him Intensely, I think. I mean, I love the Jackson <laughs> versions, but I think Tolkien would have probably have been very unhappy with them. <laughs> well, the thing that really got me um, in your podcast on Gollum was I almost started, I was like, I'd never thought about it before, but I almost started feeling offended on uh, Tolkien's behalf when you play the MTV <laughs> oh, the circus yeah. as Gollum at MTV, and I was like, I was like, oh my god, no! What, what are you doing? This is so a like, sacred, sacred you, character. I think it's probably like the ultimate example of something that would have offended yeah. Tolkien. But it's, um, so this is when Andy Serkis is accepting an award for the best CGI creation, obviously, which has gone to the creation of Gollum. And they've recorded this bit with Gollum himself oh. showing up to complain uh, about his treatment at the hands of Weta Workshop and so on. And he drops all sorts of bad language. He calls Andy Serkis fat, and uh, yeah, it just—I think for Tolkien, he would have been like so disrespectful yeah. in his mind. Oh dear. <laughs> well, it's a bit yeah. cringy. It's mine. I won it. It was me. Yes, one because of me. I'm me. Auntie Vee's my friend. My friend. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. <laughs> Quick insert from editor Dan here just to say that was but a short snippet of the whole um, fairly gruelling clip of uh, Andy Serkis and Gollum at the MTV Awards. If you want to hear the whole thing, please go over to Catherine and Paul's podcast. They've got the whole clip in their Gollum episode, which will be linked in the show notes. Cheers! So we're coming to the end of our time now, and I I think it's a good time to talk a little more about your podcast um, rather than um, the the books and the films. as Ian and I were saying earlier, you know, we know a, a thing or two, but we were both learning lots just by listening to your podcast. I was delighted um, I, in the goal. I think it's in the Gollum episode because each of your episodes is devoted to a different character. You played an excerpt of Tolkien himself reading Gollum or reading the, the book, and, and you commented on um, the, the fact that it's almost as if. The Hobbit was kind of written to be read aloud. Uh, you know, it's it's a story to be read to children, and I felt really vindicated because when I read The Hobbit, even though I was 
like 18 uh, I read it aloud to myself because it just there's just something mm. about it that um, it, that it worked better when I did that um, and it all it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, sort of scriptural stuff which I'm a Catholic I'm used to hearing uh, scripture readings in church so um, yeah it's just not the same if you if you don't hear it so um, uh, mm. by the way um, listening to your Gollum episode also reminded me something that I haven't thought about for years which is that I am a Gollum um, and, uh, and uh, I, w I wish I could have let you know this in advance I played Gollum in a student production uh, when I was 18 and the reason and this was before I had read The Hobbit or the films had come out uh, I, so I, uh, you know so the the meme of Andy Serkis's voice was not common was not common I didn't know what I was doing I just had to make it up and the director of the show very kindly afterwards gave me a copy of the book The Hobbit to read which is why I was reading it I wish he'd given it to me beforehand but never mind um, <laughs> that's amazing does the recording survive at all of your golem no I'm afraid not it's barely even in my memory well, one thing your podcast made your podcast sent me down a down a Google rabbit hole, which because when I was eighteen at Durngate Theatre in Northampton, where I lived, we went to see the Hobbit stage play, and one of the main memories of that is how sexy Gollum was. <laughs> <laughs> Gollum was played by a woman with a really good figure in <laughs> in a really tight fitting bodysuit, and we were all just like laughing our heads off the whole time, going. I, I fancy Gollum. Do you fancy Gollum? Yeah, I fancy Gollum. So we're laughing a whole way through this. Uh, Gollum was really curvy, really nice uh, female form. Wasn't quite right. It was just such a weird, such a weird production as well. Wow, that sounds amazing. That's very funny. The uh, sexy Gollum. Was, was, uh, Ian, was it a musical? Wasn't there a stage musical of The Hobbit? Or, or have I imagined that? There was the Lord of the Rings, I, I think. I don't remember being. Do you know what? I, I, other than the songs that were in the book, I don't remember there being songs. Okay. But I did look it up, and there did seem to be a few stage versions mentioned. But uh, I definitely saw it in 1990 at the Derngate Theatre, Northampton. <laughs> and uh, unless I'm doubting my own past again, but um, but yeah, but it's uh, what a film. We'll have to get you back on for the other two. Yeah, and uh, okay. try try not to talk about the Hobbit again. Uh, no, that's the challenge, <laughs> not not devolving into a Hobbit slag off yeah. session. Oh, that's our mission. Yeah. So when's when's your next issue out? Is it uh, next podcast? Out? As we're recording on Thursday, it's out tomorrow, Friday the sixth of May. So I assume by the time this is out in the world, our Bilbo episode will be available for people. Here, if you go and look for Not Another Elf on social media, you can track it down that way. Um, and I'm actually just starting to edit the, the next one. So, yeah, we're doing them every week on Fridays for 10 weeks for the first series. Then we're going to take a little break and do a second series. Oh, oh brilliant. When's when's Eowyn happening? Is that what is I want to know. That is going to be somewhere in the first series. We're definitely doing Eowyn. Excellent. Yeah, we're doing one episode. Here's a here's a scoop for this podcast. Oh. We're going to do an episode on Shadowfax, Gandalf's horse. Which yay! Oh. 
a real challenge because he doesn't have any lines. So. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> what am- amazing. What's an amazingly named horse, though? I think that's (laughs) the best named horse ever. Wow. Shadow Facts, the podcast. We've we've reached peak podcast. (laughs) Somehow an an hour on a horse. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. That's amazing. Catherine, we will put links in the show notes of our episode to uh, all of your episodes so that it's easy for our listeners to find them. Um, and I so think much. we all recommend it extremely heartily because it's yes. just it, it's it's yeah, put, yeah. It's put together with a great deal of learning and um, understanding, but real genuine passion as well, and it's just incredible fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's introduced me to Brother Theodore, who I oh, know, that's true, me yeah. too. Who's just an incredible <laughs> character. Yeah. Who, I uh, love- all of these weirdos that you find when you start digging into talking ephemera, a yeah. lot of them very popular on US chat shows during the middle part of the 20th century. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Brother Theodore was Boris Karloff, Salvador Dali, Nijinsky, and Red, uh, Red Skelton simultaneously, is how he was described. <laughs> what a man. A German American actor. But uh, just, just incredible. One th- one thing, have you have you have you heard of Figwit, Catherine? <laughs> Brett Brett from Flight of the Concords, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because that that's uh, he didn't seem. I, I interviewed him over the phone. He didn't seem very happy when I mentioned Figwit. Clang. Many many years ago. But uh, yeah, <laughs> clang. But um, but he's probably worried that when he dies, that's going to be his obituary. You know, <laughs> this sort of stupid bit of internet. Figwit has died. Yeah, do, do, do you guys know what do you know what Figwit is, Stella or Dan? I know not. No. It's it's it comes from this, this is this is it, it's he's he's in the background at the Council of Elrond, and he's he is he's a very attractive elf, and he's Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords, who is mm. you know so he's attractive, but he's particularly attractive as an elf, and it comes from a message board. Somebody went, Frodo is great. Who is that? And it became so he became known as Figwit. They were like watching it while messaging, right. and that, so he became known as Figwit. So I have a page open on my screen of Figwit. His 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 uh his uh, page. Really? I just think it's all, I just I just for some reason I just love little things like that. It's one of those uh, I think really early examples of fan service because they then put more of him in Return of the King yeah. in response to this kind of interesting fan groundswell of like this elf looks amazing. Yeah, and we get more of the more of that. Elf. Okay, mm. interesting. Oh well, <gasps> write that down as well. Yeah, I was I was unaware of that. That's and more more Brett McKenzie. That's something else to go Google that we'll have to put in the yeah. links. Go and do. Go and Google Figwit. <laughs> Just before we absolutely finish, Catherine, uh, could I ask a favour of you? Could you please drop a name that will obliterate the names that Ian's uh, Ian's dropped in the course of the episode? I think you're in a position to do so, having recently hosted the House of Gucci podcast. That, that, oh, that! I was going to give you a Lord of the Rings related one. Oh, that's even better if you can. Which is just that a friend of mine is quite good mates with Ian McKellen. Ooh. And so when the friend turned 30, I got invited to a small dinner party of about 10 people at Ian McKellen's house. And 
he made dinner for all of us and we had dinner together and Gandalf served us three kinds of pie and I was just sat there the whole time trying not to lose it uh, <laughs> wow. that I was in the presence of someone that I considered to be a living god <laughs> but honestly and you know he's he's putting on a little bit of a Gandalf voice in the films but that basically is his voice mm -hmm. so extremely disconcerting to be just sort of sitting there you know <laughs> pinching at the starter and then just at your elbow more pie in it. <laughs> 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 All right, clang, 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 clang. One of those evenings you remember forever, really. Yeah, uh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a lovely house. Oh, wow. Lots of Gandalf memorabilia. Well, there we go. And I, I never interviewed Ian McKellen. And I, and I have actually met him. I served him a pint <laughs> when I was a barman. And he was doing a play in Leeds. Yeah. And so that makes that reminds you that he was well known before mm. Lord of the Rings, because mm. you kind of you kind of forget. But he's like people are like is he McKellen? Who knows who what he was in? Mm. Like why we knew his name? He, he was already but, knighted though before the Lord of the Rings, wasn't he? Was he? No, it was like nineteen. It was nineteen ninety five or something. Mm. Right. And so people were going to see McKellen. So he was well known enough for something mm. that people. Talked about him being in, and I, and he, I served him a pint <laughs> as a barman. But anyway, your story, your story slightly more impressive. Well, yeah, Catherine, I was yes fishing for the name of a certain L Gaga there because you were after Lady Gaga, <gasps> weren't you? Yes, I wow. Executive produced the House of Gucci official podcast in my other guise as not just a sort of talking person who lives in an attic um, <laughs> I do occasionally venture out into the world and do things that I uh, can actually make money doing <laughs> <laughs> they are good things <laughs> but yeah no, that was good that worked well um, we just won a webby for that one oh, wow. and yeah that was a great podcast I don't know if you know Rihanna Dillon oh yeah yeah from occasionally appears on the evolution of horror podcast yes uh, love yes. my Rihanna oh that's a great podcast yeah so. yeah, yeah. Um, I used to accept Inside Cinema, which Mike um, produced for us and edited the BBC Strand Five. Oh yes, there. I've seen some of that. Yeah. That's great stuff. Yeah, that was fun. We did three series of that. All right, oh, brilliant. But yes, Catherine, I just wanted you to drop Lady Gaga's name because there are major American horror story fans on this podcast. So me, uh, me. Yeah. She was very professional. <laughs> yeah. Um, and is there time for me to say how much I've enjoyed being on your podcast? This has been a total delight. Apparently there is. <laughs> Always. Well, thank you, Catherine. <laughs> That's delightful. Um, and I really well, enjoyed lovely. the, what was it, Martin episode with Dave Edwards, um, who's also someone that I've known since about hot dog era. Um, yeah, I went to uni with David, and then we lost contact, and then we both were at a screening. I was like, what are you doing? I'm here to review a film. So am I. Oh, turns out <laughs> we had seen each other for about five years, and we both were to screening, being critics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you knew David, yeah, but it's it's a small little pond, isn't it? Yeah. But, uh, I saw him just the other day, and then then we did Martin. Oh, give him my best. Well, uh, Catherine. Thank you so much. This has been delightful, and I think we'll have to uh, we'll have to find a way to mentally justify doing Two Towers and The Return of the King, even though they're less <laughs> horrific movies. But on the oh, other hand, The Return of the King does have a massive scary spider in it. 
So it does, yeah. it does. Yeah. And you know the orcs at Helm's Deep, they're they're scary mm. kind of. Yeah, there's undead fella, isn't there? Yeah, we can do it. And there's an, there's an immolation, so you know. We could always do the Ralph Bakshi <laughs> Lord of the Rings. That's more horrifying. Oh yeah, that's true. I, in fact, I should finally watch all of it, and then we could do it as a missed classic. Yeah, oh, that'd be great because it's been 20 years and it still haunts me. Okay, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. And as an extra special thanks to Catherine Bray for giving us so much of her time and for such an enjoyable chat, which I hope you've enjoyed too. So the next episode coming up will hopefully be a first for this podcast. It will be an episode in which I'm not involved. Thank God I hear you cry. Um, because I'm going to be away in Spain, it will be Ian and and hopefully Stella and Kirsty as well who will be present to discuss the new film by the team behind one of our favourite movies, host from 2020 hopefully ian and um, stella and kirsty will be talking to some members of that team and discussing the film i haven't seen it yet maybe i will soon i hope i will soon but i won't i probably won't be able to see it in time for the episode so that's why i won't be there um but it's coming out at the end of next week i think june the third so you know, watch out. It's already attracting acclaim and it sounds really intriguing. So hopefully you'll soon be able to hear that. I will be back on the following episode, which I know not what it may be. So on that note, thank you very much for listening once again. Please join us next time and uh, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye! You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Ian Winterton, Dr. Stella Gaynor, and T.D. Velasquez, with special guest, Catherine Bray. And might I commend her taste in books and films. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages, at and now pod or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at and now podcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast. And now the podcast stops. <laughs>